Welcome to John Glenn College of Public Affairs Policy Brief, webcast series of informed conversations with policymakers and influencers and public sector professionals. My name is Trevor Brown. I'm Dean of the Glenn College and proud to be your host. I'm pleased to be joined today by my good friend, Megan Kilgore, uh, City Auditor for Columbus, Ohio. How are you, Megan? I'm doing fine, Trevor. Thank you for hosting today. My pleasure. Let's start with some basic civics. What does the city auditor do? So in Columbus, it's pretty unique. And what the city auditor does in Columbus is we're basically the chief fiscal officer, the chief financial officer for the city. But we carry a really important check and balance. And that is we say how much the city can spend. We set something formally called a revenue estimate. And so we don't opine on how the city spends its money. You know, we don't have any controls on the expenditure side. But when we set that revenue estimate, that means the mayor's budget, which he or she proposes, and council approves has to not exceed that revenue estimate by a dollar. So it's, it's kind of a beautiful system of checks and balances, but there are very few cities across the country who are quite like us. Why is this position elected? So it's a great question. And it goes back to, um, believe it or not, some of our great civic leaders in Columbus, and some of whom um, carried a, a great deal of responsibility with um, civil rights and you know the equality of all people and you know what the founding um, folks of columbus tried to do is they said you know we need to have the system of checks and balances and so they sent out some individuals to go and survey across the country the best systems of government and this is what they they came up with and so this is a separately elected office um, but we also think about this office as being the entire revenue side we collect revenues we forecast we work in actuals with financial reporting, um, but we also spend a lot of time thinking about how do we plan for and pay for all of our capital projects. So debt issuance comes under my office. We also play a role in investment management, which is a very sizable, we work in big numbers, Trevor, very big numbers, about $2 billion investment portfolio, about $5 billion of debt, but that's, debt is not a four letter word in our world. You know, it's a really good fiscally responsible thing to do with large growing cities. And we also, you know, put out the CAFR, which is our annual report, Comprehensive Annual Financial Report. It's a, it's a, a document that can hold up a very, hold open a very heavy door, uh, but it's an essential responsibility of this office. So you mentioned big numbers. Let's, let's start talking yeah. about big numbers. So COVID-19 um, and its impact on the city's coffers for fiscal year 20, so the year we've just finished. How soon did the city of Columbus know that we would see a fiscal impact from COVID-19? And what were the early warning signs that, that you noticed? Yeah, it's a great question. And fortunately, the city of Columbus is on a fiscal year end of 1231. And so whereas a lot of our colleagues around the United States were really hit, including the state of Ohio, by the impacts of COVID in their last quarter of their, of their fiscal year, for the city of Columbus, we still have some time to, to weather out of this. Um, another key you know, uh, difference was when the federal government moved tax day from April 15th to July 15th, that impacted so many governments who had those June 30th fiscal year end dates because that put it into the next fiscal year. And so fortunately, Columbus, um, you know, we're experiencing more cash flow issues mm -hmm. than we are the traditional consequences of a true recession. Um, but yeah, great question about, you know, COVID. COVID for us, I've used the, the, the example of a Nike swoosh 
you know, that really kind of sudden drop and then a gradual incline. That's how COVID is treating us economically thus far. We saw an immediate dropout of the key employment affected by COVID. So tourism, restaurants, hotel workers, small business owners that were suppliers, um, you know, folks that were involved in the entertainment industry, artists, you know, those individuals were hit hardest and, and really the fastest. So for Columbus, you know, very quickly we saw a decline because of the closures. But then as especially our small businesses, our medium-sized businesses, we're able to pivot and figure out how they can still carry out their services using alternative forms of technology. You know, if you think about the technologies that were in place pre-0809 to today, they're night and day. And so we have so many more options of electronic commerce platforms today that folks are starting to really utilize. A key for us though, has been looking at this two different ways. One is looking at, you know, really the, the model of the top 50 largest employers here in the city of Columbus. They're really kind of the engine of our large steamliner in the ocean. They push us forward. And as you know, we're an income tax driven city. About 80% of our revenues come from one single source, income tax. And income tax here takes the shape of your, your paycheck every, every couple weeks. Um, from withholdings. We also have taxes on corporate profits. And then we also have a few individual, uh, you know, the individuals who are consultants, folks like that. So we really are looking at this constantly two different ways. One, our top employers, because their materiality is very significant. They keep that, that engine moving. And then we're also looking at really a jobs level basis, down to the very detailed type of job, how folks are being impacted. And they're two different stories. You know, we talk a lot about COVID as being the most inequitable economic event of our history. And that is really demonstrated by looking at the types of jobs that were most impacted. So what did the city do? Um, what were the ways you and your role as auditor could react to the, the bottom of the Nike whoosh? What, what were your levers that you could pull? You know, so looking at um, really mo our models have been, and we have had great partnerships with the university, with Ohio State. We've had great data sharing with the Federal Reserve, and we've had really good data sharing as well with Nationwide. Um, their chief economist has been in the world of, of, of economics for a long time, previously with the Fed um, at Fannie Mae. And today, you know, we are stronger when we are able to use proxies and be able to share information thoughtfully, because, you know, frankly, never have we ever had this many variables to consider. And, you know, that's the tough part about COVID is not only we have typically, you know, with an economic downturn jobs or economic security, but we also have public health. We have mental health, you know, the cognitive well-being and feeling um, like you cannot see people who you love. You can't always spend time with your family. Um, and frankly, we were able to quantify that. So this has been really interesting, but great partnerships have formed. I find comfort in models that have ranges right now, giving the amount of variables that are still undefined. You think about what every single week, whether um, our course of public health changes, our, our well-being, our likelihood of vaccinations, you know, the success of public health efforts, the reopening strategies, et cetera, these ranges are really important to kind of update on a weekly basis. I, we've been working from a most realistic model to a slight optimistic and a slight pessimistic. And I say slight because when you have 80% of one revenue, 
a significant, you know, even a small tweak of the dial could lead to significant range adjustment because of that materiality. So we've been really focused on what information is at our fingertips that we can best work with and, and how do we adjust for that uh, every month that goes by. I, I've really been proud of the office. One thing that has caused us because of COVID, we've really hastened our revenue analytics. It was something that we had planned to do in our strategic plan, but being able to focus exclusively on how the local economy is playing out with the city's revenues We've used Tableau, the data visualization software that I know your teams, um, Professor Hightower, as I recall, um, spends a lot of time in. I'm really proud of that. So if there's one thing that we have been able to do is we've been able to provide dashboards to our policymakers. We've been able to kind of bring light to how we're doing as a city financially and be able to better inform our, our residents and our taxpayers as to how well we're doing in, in light of COVID. So that's that essential role of providing information to public decision makers, often elected officials, city council, mayor. What tools do they then have at their disposal to try and address the fiscal? So, you know, whenever you're thinking about COVID, one of the first things, and I'm sure you've had to think about this as Dean, is what was our current state as we entered? Mm -hmm. You know, how well were we positioned for success as we entered this sharp decline? And for the city of Columbus, um, we had just come out of a period of recent but very thorough economic expansion. So we had, frankly, several years of solid revenues. Um, we also had, if you look at our job, uh, you know, our small and medium-sized businesses, we did have, I think, about three years of job successes, uh, meaning more small business successes than failures. And so that expansion was something that, you know, I really wanted to hold on to dearly and try and save that as much as, much as possible. Because it was really, it was like years 16, 17, 18, 19, where we were really seeing positive outcomes, still, you know, thinking back to the 08, 09, 10 recession period. So, you know, being able to hold on to that as, as well as possible was critical. Supporting the city, you know, what separates Columbus um, from, from a, a lot of other places, in my opinion, is our history of fiscal adherence to policy. Our tried and true, there, you know, we have a history of, of, of um, adherence to things like internal financial policies for income tax projects. And income tax, we pay for public safety, we pay for rec and parks, we pay for public service, pretty much everything that's not a utility, meaning water, sewer, electricity. We make sure that we have for all of those forthcoming projects, big, big projects, one and a half times revenues over expenditures for an entire period of 10 years. And so that's not something that we started last year. That's been tried and true for a while. So that lengthy planning has always served us well. Um, we also have, it's important to acknowledge our history. You know, Columbus gets some uh, acknowledgement, uh, maybe even accusations, the right word, for being a recession proof city. And that's partially because of our nature of our makeup of our major employers. But if you look at the city of Columbus, we were the second city in the entire country to levy an income tax. Uh, believe it or not, Toledo was first, I think, in 1946. We were second in 48. And since then, we've only had five negative years, meaning year-over-year year decline. Mm -hmm. Three of those years have happened since 02 and 03. So we have been very successful. Now, we, I think we create our own success as, as best we can. But really, if you think about what is the materiality of COVID, our worst year prior to this year 
was only a 0.85% decline, 0.8, less than 1%. So this year, the revenue estimate that we just updated, we had to revise it downward because of, of the economics of COVID, we're at 4.7% decline. That's almost five times our previous worst year. So that materiality can't be understated, you know, or overstated, I should say. What we have in our back pocket, in addition to the planning, is we have a toolkit. You know, we've been through tougher times, tough times before. And so kind of we started out, my office, with a one-pager. What is in our toolkit, just as we do in our home? What do we have, you know, as you can imagine, um, in, in the world of public finance, you have more things in your I can't control this bucket than in the bucket that you can control, right? So when you think about what we have in our disposal and our control are things like the obvious. We can have cuts. We could postpone projects. Um, there are employment changes. Not suggesting that's going to happen, but that's in a toolkit. Um, we have restructuring, meaning, you know, large governments, small governments, they often have debt. You know, just like you might refinance your mortgage to allow yourself some additional support, additional cash, we could do the same thing. Um, we also have access to borrowing to help bridge that gap. You know, when, for example, when tax state moved from April to July, a lot of governments were put in fiscal um, hardship because of that cash flow delay. That might make sense to do a temporary borrowing to help bridge the cash flow needs. So we have a whole list of things, some of which are, they each carry pros and cons. Some are easier lists, some are harder. Um, but this is important, I think, to be agile and flexible and um, to be able to pivot very quickly. What explains then, given that, that past practice of delivering a uh, healthy balance sheet, um, Columbus's growing economy, um, the sort of multiple legs of the stool that make us recession proof, why was Columbus one of the only, I think it was the only city in Ohio to receive CARES Act funding? The formula was based upon population and therefore the Columbus was the only city to qualify. I, I know we're in the midst now, you've educated me and forgive the error, that we're in the midst of this fiscal year. Um, do, you, what, do you anticipate any major steps to be taken to close out this fiscal year? And then we'll talk about next fiscal year. So, you know, this year has been quick decisions, but thoughtful uh, regarding COVID. And there is still so much of the year left. You know, the fact is, is that right now, at, you know, midpoint of July, if public health efforts are, you know, successful, businesses are largely able to stay open, you know, big question mark are the schools, um, which I'm very, very concerned about. You know, those variables are also going to dictate how our local economy performs. Um, things that are less clear right now would be employee sentiment, consumer sentiment. You know, that stuff is really interesting um, how, you know, frankly, much behavioral economics has to come into play with COVID. You know, but right now we had a 4.7% revenue adjustment downward. We have to then kind of rebalance and, right, and right-size the budget to meet that new constraint. Economically or financially, that's a $42 million drop. Yeah. Quick um, you know, opportunities to be able to help meet the, the, the balance of budget are going to be you know, certainly on the expenditure side. Department of Finance and Management falls under the mayor's office. Again, these checks and balances. So the expenditure side is weighing what those 
various items are going to be. Um, we can push off raises, we can push off cost of living adjustments. Uh, those are very customary, you know, tools. Um, we also have reprioritization of projects. Again, you know, so much of our city is supported by income tax by delaying projects that we're planning for capacity remainder of the year for, or early next year, pushing those out a little bit, that brings up or frees up additional capacity. So there's a whole litany of, of tools. Um, and it also depends on timing. And, you know, I think it's really critical that we have several milestones to look at for the remainder of the year. I'm telling folks right now for the city of Columbus, August and early September are going to be really important dates for us because we're going to see, you know, our healthcare systems uh, immediately had to use their balance sheets to invest in the equipment necessary, the PPE necessary to support COVID and this new, this new way of delivering healthcare. When electives came back online, they were able to start kind of rebuilding those balance sheets. And so largely the healthcare systems I'm seeing perform very well. Our top 50 employers, with the exception of retail, which was already having disruption and where it was already you know, weakening, really haven't seen that many more organizations in the top 50 that have been negatively impacted to a sizable or material degree. The furloughs that we have seen, a lot of companies were able to pay their employees in the largest sectors um, and only take shorter furloughs. So the point of that is, is that through 2020, because a lot of our tax revenues that we're still collecting are based on 2019 revenues, a position of, of healthy economic expansion, it will be next year when we start really unpacking the effects of COVID. So 21 is going to be a tough year. It's going to be impacted differently. So just out of curiosity, how many years do you do projections into the future? Are you guys trying to model one year, two year, three year, five year plans? What's the, what's the modeling structure in terms of how much uh, you look into the future? Great question. And it depends, you know, with respect to income tax, we go out for 10 years mm -hmm. with our utilities. Um, it's current year plus five. I, I kind of correlate our big utilities to us, you know, like you and I doing a, uh, a bathroom remodel. You think you, you start your project thinking you're going to come in at, you know, X thousand dollars. And then very quickly you realize that it's going to be quite a bit different because you might hit uh, plumbing issues. You might hit electrical issues or whatever. That's how large utility systems work in my mind. So their capital plans are great guiding factors. They're blueprints for the capital needs of, of the city, but they also can shift. Um, so current year plus five, income tax, because that is our uh, nucleus of our city, we do go out for 10 years. And in every, any given year, we have to make sure that our revenues, as we anticipate them, a lot of those projections come into play, are one and a half times more than the expenditures. And that is, that is a, a, a fiscal policy that we hold very dear. Yeah. How are you modeling and thinking about the nature of work? So I understand what you're describing earlier for the income tax there. Yeah. We're still under a state of emergency. And so there's, there's a sort of short term fix to the nature of where people are working right now. But let's say this sticks and becomes more permanent and um, your top 50 employers start saying, to their employees, you can work wherever, and that's now that's your place of work. Um, how how do you anticipate that impacting the city's finances, given that we are so reliant on the income tax? I think we have a, we have a lot of things to to you know talk through before we get to that point. 
because right now the provisions are still the way that they are. But, you know, if we do start um, really getting to the trenches of this and developing, you know, uh, a conversation, and, and to be honest with you, statewide, it's been a very positive conversation. I think everyone just wants clarity. You know, they want their ability to be more in control of what they can predict and um, expect in terms of, of the revenues. So I think there's a really good opportunity to find um, a solution that's longer term but there still has to be work done uh, to figure out what is the best path for all. Again, much bigger than Columbus, we have to find the most equitable solution, you know, going forward. When I think about, you know, the city versus others, though, across the nation, or even in our backyard here, you know, the planning is really different and difficult depending upon the type of revenue. Mm -hmm. And so for Columbus, you know, I'm thinking constantly about employees, the future of work. I was already thinking about automation, and I was already thinking about remote work. You know, these are things that we've been knowing that are on our horizon. Um, you know, you and I spoke uh, about how COVID has accelerated a lot of our corporate entities' belief that, wow, we can work from home and be productive. We had, I, I, you know, in our skyline, some old guard companies that felt you had to have, you know, frankly, butts and seats in a downtown headquarters to be productive. And what COVID has shown is that remote work you can still maintain productivity. You can arguably be even more profitable because of reduction of overhead. And you can put the burden um, on employees um, to be able to you know, figure out when they can work. And you know, that, that might make them more productive. So it's been really interesting doing touch points with, um, I call them weekly health checkups, pick up the phone. This was super scientific. But in the absence of certainty, you know, Picking up the phone and calling the CFOs or the CEOs was the best thing I could think of. And asking them, how are you doing? You know, what decisions are you making? What are your pinch points? You know, what will be the period of time or in the key word for a lot of these folks was duration, depending upon length of duration of stay-at-home orders, that was going to see how much they would eat away at their balance sheets. What would be their last straw before they had to make sizable cuts? And, you know, that's, I got to give a lot of our corporate employers a great deal of, of, of appreciation and thanks because of that open dialogue, it helped us better predict. But let's take, um, you know, Standard & Poor's released their forecast for their different sectors. Um, I think it was last week. So for, for, for example, you know, S&P currently anticipates that, you know, hotels and gaming revenues are not going to recover until the second half of 22. So municipalities or local governments that are re relying upon tourism taxes, casino tax revenues, that's going to be spaced out further. You know, mm -hmm. this jobs are much, much more, they're, they're very agile. We, they, you know, even though the city of Columbus historically has moved very slowly in terms of like we had kind of more undulating uh, income taxes, you know, we still with COVID saw a sharp decline. And the fact is, you know, we got to look at when, you know, some of these, these revenues are going to come back, especially if you're heavily reliant. Um, healthcare services, they're suggesting S&P is, uh, I believe it's first half of 2022, full rebound. Um, well, in comparison, restaurants are second half of 21. So for uh, governments that are relying upon food, beverage, sales tax, that's really important. Um, consumer discretionary spending, i.e. sales tax, is not predicted to be significantly improved until 2023. And so, you know, I think what your, your question about thoughtful fiscal planning, 
again, there's no one size that fits all. Um, when I was in the private sector and I had governments, I, I think one of the best things that a, a, a public official can do is have a range of experience because the townships who maybe have trouble paying their bills all the way up to cities that pay cash for everything, there's no one size that fits all. And so just because fiscal planning works well here does not mean that same practice would be best for a government that is super reliant upon uh, sales tax. So it's really, it's really important to know what you have and know your revenue structure and then backfill. Um, but just, just reflect on the system writ large, the intergovernmental finance system. And uh, you've done a great job of explaining the mechanics of how it works right now. But not so long ago, there was another important element, which was the local government fund at the state yeah. level that provided ostensibly a subsidy from the state to the localities, and it changed your, your revenue mix. As you think about that system versus the current one, which one do you think does the best job in handling the kinds of shocks that we're experiencing right now um, with, with COVID? You know, that's a, that's a very good question. And it's gonna be, um, I would say, every city in the state will be impacted differently. Because here's something to really acknowledge is that Columbus has the good fortune of being a city where population is not only growing, but booming. And our regional population, especially with wealth, has been solid. I can't say the same for all of our colleagues across the state of Ohio. So, you know, again, the, the kind of the, you have to get into the nuance of the equation to think through what is going to be better suited for each municipality. 20 some years ago, you know, when local government funds, tangible personal property, and the estate tax were still flourishing, you know, and sending revenues downward from the state down, income tax only made up about 60% of our, of our revenues. We lost about $50 million combined in those three sources. Now, fortunately, two things happened. One is Columbus's um, very large fiscal foundation and not, you know, almost a billion dollar budget and so forth. We were able to weather that. However, we did have to, after 08 and 09, go after an income tax increase. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was um, you know, Auditor Dorian and Mayor Coleman at the time were out there every single day working collaboratively. And, you know, Trevor, there's something really beautiful about the spirit of a community during tougher times. And, you know, I remember our firefighters, you know, voluntarily foregoing their contractually obligated raises because they said, you know what, we'll press the pause button. You keep some essential city services afloat. That meant the world, you know. Um, but citizens in the height of a double dip recession were asked to add an additional 0.5% increase to their taxes. And they resoundingly said yes. And I say resoundingly because it didn't pass by 50.1%. It passed, you know, a little mid-50s. Mid and that's a, it was spectacular. The fact that the citizens, you know, uh, voted in support of that. And I really believe they, this electorate, which is so intelligent here in Columbus, they were able to understand this is what our state is today. This is what our state would be if it does, we do not have an income tax increase. And this is what it would look like if we do. And those choices were laid out by a team of independent economic advisory committee participants. Uh, made up of a lot of industries in Columbus, and they independently assessed, and they said, this is our recommendation to the citizens of Columbus, and the citizens said yes. So when that happened, we had the decline of all of the state money. 
We had the double dip recession, and then we had the income tax increase. That's what took our income tax revenues from 60% of the pie to almost 80. So that really did interestingly impact our material reliance on one single source of revenue. Something for you know viewers to check out, the dispatch, I know you can find it if you just Google it. The dispatch maybe a couple years ago did an awesome story on taxation as a burden to an individual because of the reduction of state funding and local government fund to state taxes, who especially hit hard would be the bedroom communities and, and others. So what they looked at is because of state declines in certain revenues, how did local municipalities and local counties have to respond using alternative revenues, uh, excuse me, alternative fees, additional taxes or the like in order to right size? And you know the, the end result was, their thesis was additional levels of taxation, and that was the end result. But it is a spectacular tableau, and um, I'm just gonna key it up for a great research project for the university. Well, on that, that note of guidance to us to go do scholarship, we'll, we'll finish this conversation. Megan, it was great. I really, really appreciate you unpacking a lot of this complex um, information for us. It's important to learn how the money flows and uh, how it's impacted by these crises. You keep doing the good work you're doing. It's much appreciated. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Policy Brief is produced by the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University.